The uh, message uh, title this morning really is the same title that I've been giving it for the last two weeks. It's, it's the principles of the kingdom, and we're going to call this part three. We are moving a lot slower through this section than I w- what I originally thought we would do, but it's all good. We're, we're, we're going at it at the pace, I believe, that the Lord wants us to. But over the past two weeks... We've covered six of the eight Beatitudes that we find here in chapter 5, actually from verses 3 to verse 8. And we've talked about, and as each one of these Beatitudes begins with this word blessed or happy, some translations read, we've talked about what is true happiness. And there's a lot of people that are chasing after happiness in this world in a lot of different ways. We could say in all the wrong places. But the kind of happiness that Jesus is speaking to his disciples here is they're sitting there on the mount that's called the Mount of Beatitudes is a happiness really that cannot be found in circumstances or things in life. As a matter of fact, the happiness that Jesus is talking about here is something that doesn't change. If we possess this kind of happiness, it's not fleeting. As many of the things that we would deem that bring happiness to our our lives, those things a lot of times they change, don't they, with the circumstances of life. We can be happy and fulfilled and content one day, and all it takes is for something to come along, and it just takes that away. But the kind of joy and happiness that we can have, it has to do with the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. As your heart begins to change towards the things of God, as God begins to work these things into your the very core of who you are as a Christian, it produces a happiness, a blessedness, we could say, that is never, uh, it never changes with circumstances. It just remains the same. That's the kind of blessedness and happiness, I think, that we all want as Christians. The Christian life is one of growing, isn't it? It's one of maturing, and we need to be always on that growing and maturing uh, road as a Christian. We don't want to stop. And as we do grow, this blessedness or this change of heart, as I shared over the last few weeks, it starts this way with a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where it begins. As a matter of fact, if it's not this way first, you'll never experience the blessedness that we're reading about here. But it starts this way, and then it will happen this way. People get that backwards sometimes. Christians try to find it this way and try to work it this way, but they don't have it this way. It always begins with your heart relationship with God. Let's all read these Beatitudes together. And let's, uh, I'm going to ask you to read them out loud with me. Okay, starting in verse 3. If you're there in your Bibles, verse 3, let's read them together. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Put yourself in the place of the disciples sitting there with our Lord as he sat and he just, he just began to say these words to them. Remember that what I just read to you, I believe is 
the foundation for the rest of chapter 5, 6, and 7. We need to really understand these Beatitudes uh, before really the rest of this Sermon on the Mount is going to really make a whole lot of sense. These are the kingdom rules, we could call them. These are, uh, for those that are believers, these are the rules or uh, some have said even the constitution, really, of the kingdom. This is what we follow as Christians. This is what we aspire to be like. Now, as I've shared in the beginning of these Beatitudes, when we look at them, we go, but it's so hard. I look at that list and I see these things and I see how I fall short so many times in these areas. But, but keep in mind that this is, you're all a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. God is changing us and making us more like him. But this gives us something to say, God, I want to be more like you. This is how I want to be. Remember that these are all character traits. Really of what a citizen of the kingdom of God should look like. This is how we should really appear, really, to the rest of the world. They should see these things in us. But none of these, if we could call them character traits, none of these things that we see here are characteristic of somebody that does not know Christ. They're incapable of being able to live these things out. The only way that we can is because we have God's spirit in us that is changing us and giving us a, a different heart and a different mind. And he begins to work these things into our very being. But let's look this morning, really. We're only going to cover, really, the last two Beatitudes this morning. And the first one that we're going to look at is, Blessed are the peacemakers... For they shall be called the sons of God. This is the only place that we find this word peacemaker in the New Testament. The actual Greek word is actually translated in four other passages with the word peace. And so when we're looking at this word peacemaker, we need to understand what Jesus is saying. The other uh, four passages that Jesus, uh, or that we find, excuse me, uh, this Greek word in, and it's translated peace, the first time we see it is in Colossians 1.20. And it starts with God really making peace with us. We read in Colossians 1.20, For it pleased the Father that in Jesus all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And then he says this, Having made peace through the blood of his cross. Who did he make peace with? He made peace when you were not at peace with God, when you were at enmity against God, when Jesus Christ died on that cross and shed his blood for your sin, and when you came to that place where you accepted him as Lord and Savior, he made peace. You were no longer at war with God. You now are a child of God. And that battle, so to speak, ended at the cross. We are also, though, as believers, we're also called to make peace with others. God made peace with you. You're also called to make peace with others. We read in Mark's gospel in chapter 9, verse 49. For everyone will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good. But if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. We're exhorted in Scripture that we're to pursue peace with one another. It's characteristic, really, of a, of a believer. Paul, in closing his letter to the Corinthians, he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, 
He says, finally, brethren, farewell. He says, become complete. That's just, uh, become complete. I like that. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. And then he says this, live in peace. We're exhorted by Paul as believers to live in peace with one another. And then he says, and the God of love and peace will be with you. We're exhorted. We're we're to pursue peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12, Paul wrote this. He says, but we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love for the work's sake. And then he says this, be at peace among yourselves. Paul often closed his letters with that same exhortation. Be at peace among yourselves. Why do you think he would need to do that? Do you think there's ever any contentions with people? Do you think there's ever contentions within the church? Do you think that those things, be at peace amongst yourselves. Be at peace with one another. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus says, for they shall be called the sons of God. I want you to notice, though, as we look at verse 9, that Jesus doesn't say, Blessed are the peacekeepers. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. What's the difference? If, I, if you look up, and I did in Merriam-Webster's dictionary, this is how it defines a peacekeeper. It's a person or persons who maintains or restores peace. A person who maintains or restores peace, you know, like a, like a mediator would do, or like a, a, like a soldier or a, a military force that is deployed to go out and they're sent out to maintain or to restore peace and order. That's a peacekeeper. But a peacemaker is a person who helps to prevent or to stop an argument. They they seek to prevent or to stop a fight or a war. It's a person who makes peace, especially by reconciling parties at variance with each other. That's what Jesus is saying when he says, Blessed are the peacemakers. We serve a God who is referred to in Scripture as the God of, of all peace. This God of all peace is the one who reconciles us. He made uh, peace by the blood at the cross. And we became uh, sons of God through that. But we're also called as believers to mimic our Father. How many parents do we have in this room? I know we have quite a few. And when you think of your children and how they mimic you in your life, <laughs> this, this is a tough one when you're raising kids, uh, them mimicking you. Uh, we get all excited when they're mimicking the good things. You know, all the, they see all, and we go, isn't that cute? How they just follow and they do the same thing like we do so often. But when we see them mimicking qualities that we go, oh, I wish they didn't mimic me on that one. I wish they weren't like, we're called as believers to mimic our heavenly father, the God of all peace. The one that brought peace to you exhorts us to be peacemakers. How many of you here this morning have the spirit of God dwelling inside of you? Raise your hand. The Spirit of God dwelling inside of you. If you don't, you're not a believer. 
But Paul says in the book of Galatians in chapter 5, he talks about the works of the flesh and the works of the Spirit. Listen to what he says. He says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you be led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, rivalries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then look what he says. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. And out of that, after that word love, eight other fruits follow it. What is the one word that he's talking about? It's the word love. It's, it's that one word love, and these other things come out of that. Look what follows. The fruit of the Spirit is first love, and then this is what follows. Joy. The second one is peace. Long-suffering. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. And self-control. How many of you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you? If you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you, then, then these things dwell within you. Because God's Spirit is in you, and that is God himself by his Spirit in you. He wants to manifest these things out of our lives. The first one being love. But peace is one of them. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the sons of God. Sometimes when we look at Scripture, it's good for us to look at opposites. Opposites sometimes help us to understand truth, of what truth is being said. Now, the opposite of peace could be summed up in a number of different words. Uh, let's see if any of you can relate to some of these words. The first one is disagreements. That's opposite of peace. Now, did anyone have a disagreement with anyone before church today? Did you have any disagreements this last week? How, how many disagreements have you had over the course of this last week? with your spouse, with people at work, wherever it might be. That's opposite of peace. How about upset? Anybody get upset this week? How about disharmony? Or discord? Or agitation? Frustration? Worry? Distress? Hatred, fighting, war. Those are all words that are opposite of peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. But now listen to some synonyms for peace. It's the word accord, friendship, love, reconciliation, truce. Surrender, unity, neutrality, treaty. Those are all words that could follow peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus says, for they shall be called the sons of God. 
I want you to note that Jesus is not speaking here of someone who lives in peace. We all want to be in peace. The world wants to be in peace. But he's not talking about someone who lives in peace, but a person who seeks to bring peace. How do we do that? In everyday living, at home, around family, around co-workers, wherever we're at. How are we to be peacekeepers? A person who is a peacekeeper is a person who makes effort to make peace. In other words, it requires something on our part. Uh, To be a peacemaker, it requires effort. Have you noticed that within your marriages, those of you that are married? (laughs) It requires effort. To keep peace in your home, to keep peace in your marriage, you have to be a, a peacemaker. Paul, writing in Romans chapter 12, verse 21, says... Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Have you ever done that? Have you ever actually overcome evil by doing the complete opposite of that and doing something good? If you've done those, then you understand a little bit more of what it means to be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. Proverbs 15.1 A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever had the opportunity when somebody's in your face and you give them a soft-spoken word in that moment, controlled by the Holy Spirit, the peace of God is ruling in your heart at that moment, and you speak something out, and all of a sudden, it brings a calm. Very interesting the way that works. When we follow God's word and we follow these things, we realize, you know, the opposite of that is, I've got rights. You can't speak to me that way. You can't. And, and we want to force that issue. That's not being a peacemaker. I remember one time out witnessing, I was in this apartment complex. I'd shared the Lord with this uh, girl at this apartment and walked away from that after she had told me that she was a Mormon. Her boyfriend was a Mormon. He wasn't there at the moment. I walked across the courtyard, went to another apartment, and, uh, and probably... Ten minutes later, this guy comes storming across the courtyard of this apartment towards me. And this guy looked like he was going to tear my face off. I'm just out witnessing. And he comes up and gets right up to my face. And the reason he was very upset was the fact that I made a statement that I believed that the prophets of the Mormon church were false. He didn't like that statement that I made to his girlfriend. And he stood right in my face like he was about ready to hit me. And I felt this calm upon me. And I just said this, just in a very mild, I said something to him, just of the Lord. And all of a sudden, you know, he just calmed down like that. If I would have tensed up today, I probably would have been hit. I mean, God's word works. And when we are peacemakers... Uh, that's being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, turn the other cheek. It's It's only God that can enable us to do those kinds of things. We're all living in a world, really, of unrest and war. It's all around us. And there's really no real peace in this world. But, you know, I, I looked up online... Uh, uh, about peace organizations in the world. You know how many I found? You could find the same thing in Wikipedia. There's actually 400 plus peace organizations throughout the world that are striving for world peace. It lists all of them by name. 400 of them. But this world still has no peace. There's still turmoil and fighting and wars. 
So it makes me ask the question, what's the problem? Why can't the world obtain real peace? Well, it's what I shared last week, that the real problem has to do with our hearts, the heart of mankind. You see, it's the heart that has the issue. It's the heart that is not controlled by God that has no peace. A lot of people want to say that the problems in this world and the lack of peace in this world, they're related to political things. You know, it has to do with social things, economics. In our world. There's unrest in our world. There's, there's no real peace and people are fighting wars. and doing, It's all economics. Social problems. Political problems. But Jesus says the real problem is in the heart. It's in the heart of man. That's why there will never be real peace. I shared this verse last week in Matthew 15, 18. Jesus says, the things which proceed out of the mouth, they come from the heart, and they defile a man, for out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. It all comes from the heart and comes out in the mouth. It's why people will continue to war and to fight with no real peace. This world right now, and I think most of us that are actually watching our news, keeping up on things in the news, uh, they're shocked. We're shocked by what we're seeing transpire right now with the beheading of these people uh, there under ISIS. I mean, the atrocities against me, those were all because there's issues of the heart. It's the wickedness of the heart. You look at communist China and North Korea. You, you, you look at the anti-Semitism that is growing more and more throughout the world against the nation of Israel and Jews. You see the dominance of Russia in the Ukraine there, wanting the world power, wanting dominance in the world. This, is, this all comes from the heart of man. It's what's within man. It's why there is no real peace. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. We're called as believers to, not a, in the smallest scales at home, to be peacemakers, but we're also called to pray for our world and pray for people in the situations in our world, praying for Israel, praying for the peace of Jerusalem. We're called as believers to do that. In James chapter 3, verse 18, James writes, Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Where do wars and fights come from among you? James asked the question. Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? James knew exactly where it came from. It comes from the heart. You see, these Beatitudes, we're incapable of doing any of this. We can't do it. But we can in the Lord. As you allow the Lord to take more control of your heart and your mind... I believe the natural outcome is that you will become more of a peacemaker. The fourth beatitude that we read here is, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I believe that that person, that Christian that is hungering and thirsting for righteousness in their life, they're going to desire also to be a peacemaker. I believe that that is a key verse in these Beatitudes. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. They're going to have this strong desire to be peacemakers. 
peacemakers are not people who just like peace, but they're people who are actively engaged in making peace. Do you see the difference? We all like peace, but we're called to be actively engaged in making peace. Well, how will that affect you in your home? How will that affect you in your marriage? How will that affect you at work? Uh, When you're just out and about doing your business in this world, to be a peacemaker, actively engaged in that. How many things come up at work? That if you're controlled by the Holy Spirit and you uh, approach it in the right way, you have just become a peacemaker in that situation instead of fueling the fire and bringing discord and allowing those things to... That's what the Lord wants to do. He wants us to shine for him out in this world and for people to see there's something different about you. And I do believe that these Beatitudes, that they apply, or this Beatitude applies really to the smallest tensions that we deal with in relationships, all the way to wars in our world. It's a broad spectrum. So we're not just talking about praying for all the wars going on in the world and desiring peace in this world. We're talking about even the small tensions that you have in relationships with one another. How about people at church? The tensions that we might have there. How about people that are family members that we got tension and struggles with? How are we able to be peacemakers in our families? Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, he says, if it is possible, very important, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. If it's possible. Sometimes we say, well, it's not possible. I, I, I can't fix this situation in my family. There is no peace right now. But Lord, help me that, uh, that I will pursue it. I'm going to pursue after that. I want there to be peace as much as possible. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says this, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring. That speaks to me of effort on my part. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Or that peace that binds us together. You know, a Christian that has a peace-loving spirit, and there are Christians like that, that that, you know what? They just scream, peacemaker. They're not, a, they're not a person that you, you feel like you're going to have a contention with ever. They just scream being peacemakers. They endeavor to keep unity. Not at the expense of, of sound, doc, not at the, but they want unity. They seek after it. They pursue it. They don't let disagreements come between them and, and, and other friends and family. They, they, they just refuse to let those things bring a discord or a divide. If we would all just be like that within the church, there wouldn't be any contentions and frustrations and, and all those things. If the church would just do that, if there's any place it should be, it should be here. Hebrews 12, 14 says to pursue peace with all people. All people. Not just your fellow believers, but even people that don't know Christ. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. 
Then Jesus gives his disciples this final principle of the kingdom in verse 10. Look in your Bibles. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's interesting uh, to see how Jesus places this last beatitude right at the end. Seven beatitudes before it. The eighth beatitude is, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, even every word and every placement that you see in Scripture is important. And I believe that as Jesus finished these Beatitudes with this last one, blessed are the persecuted for righteousness' sake. It's because if you are following and living and desiring and endeavoring, for these things to be evident in your life, starting with blessed are the poor in spirit, the very first one, blessed are those who mourn, and you go through all the seven beatitudes before this, if those things are being lived out in your life, do you think that there will be any persecution that will come your way? Do you think that, that, that there will be people that won't like what you stand for? Oh, you're one of those Christians, aren't you? You know, you will stick out like a sore thumb in this world, at work, and even with family members. They'll know something's different about you. And a lot of times they won't like it. This beatitude, I believe, is one that has been interpreted in a lot of different ways. My interpretation of it is Jesus says that as a believer, you are blessed and you are happy when you are persecuted for righteousness sake. Very important. Lots of people, you know, hey, I'm getting persecuted. You know, I, I'm really under, I mean, people really getting at me right now, you know what I mean? And a lot of times it's because people are getting persecuted because they're just being a weird Christian, to be honest with you. You're just being weird. You're out there doing funny stuff, and the world's looking at it and going, look at these wacko Christians. And there's a lot of it out there. And there's a lot of them that go, yeah, I'm being persecuted. And it has nothing to do with righteousness sake. It has to do with your being weird. You're just not being a real Christian, a real person. And we have to make sure that when persecution comes my way, that it's for righteousness sake. If you want to avoid persecution in your life, this is how you do it. You just lay low. You, you, you know, you, you hide your faith. You, know, you don't let anybody really know that you're a Christian. You keep it to yourself, you know. Uh, no, one, no one sees, no one hears. If you do that, you'll, you'll escape. You, you, won't ha- you, you won't have any persecution that'll come your way. You'll just kind of glide along. This is good, Christian. Nobody knows it. You won't catch it. You won't get it. But you know what? That's where, not where the blessedness comes from. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Have you ever had someone say something negative, negative about you because of your faith? You know, they, they just said something. Maybe you just kind of heard it, you know. Somebody told you what they said, or you heard it, or they said it directly to your face. What's that do to you? Do you walk away from that kind of a comment and have a little bit of rejoicing in your heart? They saw something different in me. Praise the Lord. Praise God they saw something different in me. Or does it make you just, oh, God, you know, that stuff hurts. No, blessed happy are those that are persecuted for righteousness sake 
We don't like it. Our flesh doesn't like it. I'm not saying that we, we, we welcome it. But in a sense, there's this blessing that comes to us when we are. Did you know that there's going to be a special crown someday for those people that are persecuted in this life and even to the point of death? That they're going to stand before God someday and they're going to be blessed with a special crown that is going to be given to them. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, we read the letter to the church at Smyrna. John wrote, I, I know your works. Or Jesus said these words, I know your works, your tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which, are, which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. And then Jesus says this, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Jesus says you're, there are going to be some of you that are in this world that are even going to experience physical harm, physical death, tribulation, persecution, but you're going to receive the crown of life in eternity. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. We can read in John's gospel, Jesus says this, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were in the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they also will persecute you. The sheer fact that you call yourself a Christian... If you open your mouth and just let anybody know that you're a Christian, expect that you're going to find some form of persecution. Expect it. Jesus said you would. And if somebody told you that becoming a Christian was going to be an easy road and everything was going to be beautiful and nice, they lied to you. Because following after Christ, living for Christ, being unashamed of your faith, it will bring persecution. I hope that doesn't scare anybody away. Jesus says, blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Abel was persecuted by his brother Cain for righteousness' sake. David was persecuted by King Saul. Daniel was persecuted by King Nebuchadnezzar for righteousness' sake. He made a stand. Paul writing to Timothy, his son in the faith, in 2 Timothy 3.12, he says, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, Timothy. You followed my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, love and perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly, Timothy, in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It happened to me. You're following my example, Timothy. And if you live godly, Timothy, you also will suffer persecution. Now look in your Bibles at verse 11, and we're almost done. Jesus really uh, has finished these Beatitudes, but he really is uh, going to expound a little bit 
on this, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. He says in verse 11, blessed are you, and and notice that he personalizes it here from what has gone before it. Now he's saying, blessed are you, In other words, he's speaking now directly to his disciples that are standing there before him. Blessed are you when they revile, and that word revile could be when they attack your character. Blessed are you when they revile you and they persecute you and they say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Or falsely for my sake. And really that's the key. The key to all of this is Jesus says, for my sake. That's the key. When you're persecuted for his sake, it's because what people are seeing in you. When people see something different in you, when they see Christ in you, and you get persecuted for it, happy are you. Blessed are you. They're seeing something different in you. Uh, When they say all kinds of evil against you falsely, for my sake. In other words, are we willing to say, you know what, Lord, if people want to say things against me, if they want to say things against you because I'm a Christian, so be it, Lord. Because I love you, I, and I'm going to be a witness for you, and I'm, I'm not ashamed of who I am in you, and I want to live for you, and I want to shine for you, and if people want to say things, I'm blessed. I, I praise you, Lord, that they would see that in me. First John 2.6 says, He who says that he abides in Jesus Christ ought himself also to walk as he walked. If you pattern your life after the footsteps of Jesus Christ and seek to follow him and to live like him and to be a light in this world as Jesus Christ is our example, you will suffer for that. Somewhere along the line, some way, you'll suffer for that. That's where the blessing comes is when it's for his sake. Because we realize, you know what? They really don't hate me. They hate the one that I stand for. They hate the one that I'm living for. Uh, that It's for his sake. And they really hate him. In Matthew 10, Jesus, after spending three years training his disciples, he was about now to send them out into the world and to to take the gospel out into this world. Listen to what he told his disciples. He says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. That sounds encouraging, doesn't it? Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, men. Be But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. He's talking as if, he's telling his disciples, this is going to happen. You're not saying that it might happen, it will. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake. As a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you shall speak, for it will be given to you in the hour what you shall speak. For it is not you who speaks, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Now uh, now brethren will deliver up brother to death. Listen to this. Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures till the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. 
For assuredly, I say to you, you will have not gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. This is Jesus' words to his disciples as he's sending them out into the world to go be a witness for him. That's tough. That, 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 those are not words of an easy road. And the Lord never said that it would be an easy road for any of us to live for him, to follow him, to be a witness for him. But there's a blessing for those that are persecuted for righteousness sake that would follow after him with their whole heart. Little did Peter know that as he stood there and he heard these words from his Lord and and the rest of the disciples that were standing there with him, little did he know that he was going to be writing later on in 1 Peter something about suffering and glory. Listen to what Peter said. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may, be, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed. But on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. That's Peter writing about suffering that will ultimately lead to glory. You see, you may suffer in this life, But nothing will outweigh the benefits and the blessings that you're going to experience in eternity. Remember Peter, with the exception of John, all the disciples, they all went to a martyr's death, history tells us. They all gave it up their whole life, even to their physical death for Christ. Peter understood that suffering was going to ultimately lead to glory. As a matter of fact, if you read Peter's letter, you know that you could find the word suffering, I believe it's like 15 times. And do you know what other words you'll find in the letter? Glory. For every time there's a, a word of suffering, there's a word of glory that follows. Glory. 